We've been going through the story of God as a group. We've been talking about the amazing story of God and His plan for this earth and how everything started, how everything began. You guys that have been here know that you had some homework in, in the very beginning to read the book of Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. And if you read those chapters in the Bible, you found an amazing, an amazing tale of a God who created everything that we see. And when He created it all, it was perfect. It was free from sickness. It was free from disease. It was free from stress and anger and depression. It was perfect. And then as we read a little longer in the story, we read how there was an encounter between man and the devil. And how the devil lied to man and began to lie about the relationship that man had known with their father. And how they believed a lie that said that their daddy couldn't be trusted. And as a result of that lie that they believed, they rebelled against God. They did what he asked them not to do. And, and the Bible says that there was a curse of sin that entered into the story. And as a result of that curse, we have seen a chain reaction time after time after time passed on all the way down through history. And it's where you and I live today. We see the effects of that chain reaction. We see families disintegrating. We see bodies breaking down with sickness. We see hearts getting harder and harder every single day. We see people being drawn to the immoral lifestyle that we see portrayed for us all over the television and the internet. We see all of the effects that started so long ago with what seemed like such an insignificant little, ha little, little thing. We began to take this story a little deeper and we talked about how God was misunderstood throughout history. How people looked at the sickness and the curse and they looked at all the bad things in this world and they attributed it to God and they said, if this is God, I don't want any part of it. Not knowing that God's heart was towards them. Not knowing that God wanted more than anything to have a relationship with them. God was very misunderstood. God got blamed for a lot of bad stuff that God had nothing to do with. And God, as a result of that misunderstanding, said, I've got to do something. He says, I've got a plan. And he sent Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus came to a world, and the world didn't even recognize him. The creator of the world came down to its crea his creation, and the world looked at him and said, we don't even know who you are. And the Bible says that, that because you and I had been taken captive by this curse, this sin, that there was a ransom that he was holding on our head. And God in his love said, I'll pay that ransom. And he sent his son Jesus to pay that ransom for you and I so that we could have a relationship with him. As a matter of fact, God has had a plan this whole time. God's had a secret plan from the very moment that he created you and I. None of this has surprised God. None of this has caught God off guard. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians 1, in verse 9, it says, God's secret plan 
has been revealed to us. It is a plan that is centered on Christ. It was designed long ago according to his good pleasure. God had a secret plan this whole time that you and I that have experienced a relationship with Jesus are beginning to understand. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open them with me to the book of John. And we are going to look at a portion of this plan that God had for us. This, this plan that only God could pull off. In John chapter 3, we're about to read an amazing story. It's a story about a guy who comes to Jesus, who thinks he understands how religion works. He comes to Jesus and he thinks he understands how spirituality plays out. He thinks as he looks around the world that he knows how to make sense of all of the chaos and all of the different things that he's seen in his life. And Jesus has an interesting conversation with him. It says in verse 1, After dark one evening, a Jewish religious leader named Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, came to speak with Jesus. Teacher, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are proof enough that God is with you. Jesus replied, I assure you, unless you are born again, you can never see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, the truth is, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives new life from heaven. So don't be surprised at my statement that you must be born again. Just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. What do you mean, Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you are a respected teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. I assure you that I am telling you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe us. But if you don't believe when I tell you about the things that happen here on earth, how can you possibly believe if I tell you what is going on in heaven? For only I, Jesus, the Son of Man, have come to earth and will return to heaven again. And just as Moses lifted up the snake on a pole in the wilderness, so I must be lifted up on a pole, so that everyone who believes in me will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. There's no judgment waiting for those who trust him, but those who don't trust him have already been judged for not believing in the only Son of God. This is an amazing, an amazing conversation that takes place. Jesus says some things to this guy that absolutely blow him away. One of the things that he tells him that this guy just can't wrap his head around, and I have a hard time understanding myself, is he tells him, you have to be born again. Meaning, there has to be something that happens inside of you that's like starting over. It's like starting over. It's like new. It's like a new life that begins to happen. But what is that? What is that born again? What is that truly? See, if I were to ask you, what is your life made of tonight? 
what is your life made of? I'd get all kinds of answers. I'd get career. I'd get relationships. Some of you would bring up your past. Some of you would say, my life is made up of, of nothing but pain and heartache, addiction, abuse. My life, if I were to say, what is it made of, it would not be something that sometimes I can look at on, on a table and make much sense of. It's not something that I can lay out for display and be proud of. Matter of fact, sometimes what I look at, what my life is made of, is something that I would like to hide and put away. See, when we're talking about God's plan, we're talking about something that is so unhuman-like that only God can do it. You guys see this stage? You guys see all of the decor? Doesn't it look awesome? You see these words behind you, the execution. Some of you have walked in tonight and you're just like, what happened to the stage from last week? Well, that's what we do. Sorry. We have a short attention span around here, so we've got to mix it up a lot. When we, were, when we were decorating this, Cassie came up with this concept of the execution. I told her, I said, Cass, I want to talk about God's plan for man, and I want to talk about the cross of Christ, the Calvary experience. All of the things that Jesus did for us when he came for us and when he died for us. And she said, you mean when he was executed? And I go, yeah. And she says, but what about what God was doing when he was executed? She said, God was executing his plan too. I said, yeah. I said, you want to preach the sermon? That sounds really good. The execution. You can look at that and you can say, wow, that's, that's pretty morbid. That reminds us of people paying the ultimate price and dying. But when you think about the other word, execution, you think about somebody who's got a plan and somebody who is doing it, somebody who is watching it unfold, somebody who is seeing every single piece of the puzzle and says, I know why that happens, and I know why that happens, and I know why that happens. And when we look at our lives, sometimes we fail to see that there is any way possible that God could use it in his plan. We look at our lives and we look at our mistakes and we look at the things that we've done and the, the habits that we've formed and the things that we've allowed ourselves to get in and we go, God, there is no way possible you can do something good with this. I have done it this time. I have gone too far. I have gotten too dirty. I have made a mess of it. And God says, you have no idea. I am executing my plan in your life perfectly and I am going to take all of it and make something beautiful because God doesn't waste anything. God doesn't waste anything. You look at these canvases here, you see the words that on the same beautiful canvas, we have the most amazing experience known to man, freedom. And yet you look a little bit further and you see death. You see the grave. And yet you see redemption. You see salvation. You see life and gratitude. And it's all mixed together. It's like a smorgasbord of emotions and experiences and the things that you and I go through. This is real life. This is where we live. And God says, I'm going to make something beautiful out of all of it. There is nothing that God wastes. He takes old broken things and he brings them together for something beautiful. As a matter of fact, there is a crazy, crazy thing that God says in Scripture in the verse 2 Corinthians 5. It says that anyone who belongs to Christ 
has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. Think about that for a second. Think about what it means to take something that is old and used and worn out. Many of us have experienced the, the joy of replacing that old t-shirt or that old automobile or my son's old ratty tennis shoes that he's got duct tape on because he just doesn't know how to not skateboard with them. We've all experienced that small little glimpse of what it feels like to have something new, but this is different than that. This is something that is so different because God is not just taking a part of you and I and saying, let me patch you back together. God is saying, I'm going to give you something brand new. Something that only God can do. But the amazing part about it that I can't understand is that he uses the junk of my life to make that brand new thing. Only God can do that. I want to hide it. I want to get rid of it. I want to discard it. I want to run away from it. And God says, it's the Play-Doh that I'm using to form the beauty that is you. Have you guys ever thought about the process that a butterfly has to go through? I was reading this book this week. Great guy, Francis Chan. If you've never read his stuff or seen his stuff on YouTube, I encourage you to check him out. He was talking about how the butterfly has to go through this amazing transformation. Butterfly starts off as this tiny little worm born on a little tiny milk plant. And all this worm knows to do is eat. And it starts eating and growing and eating and growing. And it becomes this ugly little caterpillar. This is its life. It crawls on the ground. It looks up at things. It tries not to get squashed or whatever. This is its existence. And yet you and I both know, all of us know if we paid attention at all in school, that that butterfly goes through this cocooning and surrounds itself with this protective shell and it begins to change into something amazing and something beautiful. And the thing that he was saying that just made me realize that it's really a trippy thing to put yourself in the perspective of a butterfly, but at one time this caterpillar was on the ground and all it knew was that it was going to crawl around on the dirt. And yet through this transformation, it grows wings and it begins to fly. What do you think was going through that puny little brain of that beautiful little butterfly when all of a sudden, instead of being down on the ground, crawling around in the crap of the earth, it's flying around. It's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy. And yet this is what God says about you and I in a way, in a weird kind of way. He says, I'm going to make you brand new again. I'm going to make you brand new, and it's part of my plan. You see, the plan of salvation, the plan of Jesus, the plan of the cross, the plan of all of this that we see 
is part of the is part of the the beauty that God sees when he sees you and I come to him as we are. When we come to God as we are, we do not come to him trying to impress him. We do not come to him saying, God, I have really cleaned myself up well, so now I'm ready for you. In our intellect, we think that way sometimes. We think, I can't get right with God or I can't have a relationship with God because I've got these things in my life that keep me from God. And so when I decide to deal with these issues in my life, well, God, then you and I can talk. Then you and I can have that relationship. And God, the whole time, is standing there saying, you don't get it. You can't fix what's wrong with you. You can't make yourself better. You can't get yourself to the place to where you and I can have that relationship. You don't have the capabilities. You don't possess it. It's not in you. And yet we strive and we try and we work and we continue and we think it'll just take a little bit more. I'll just, I'll just, I'll just determine in my mind a little more willpower and then I'll be ready for God. And God says, stop already. Come to me as you are. You see, when we read the story of Jesus and over the course of the next several weeks, we're going to look at it in depth. Why? You and I could never get to God because we were trying to keep the rules. How many of you guys like the rules? Some of us do, some of us don't. Some of us like to know where the rules are just so we know how close to the edge we can get without going over, right? But some of us are rule keepers. I mean, that's the way we're wired. I, I get that. I was always one of those guys that's like, where's the rule? Okay, back, all right, I'm stepping over this one. I just always wanting to push the envelope. But the rules will never bring us to an intimacy with God, to a relationship with our Father. The rules couldn't do it. So God says, I'm sending, I'm sending my son because I want him to represent who I really am and the heart that I have for my lost kids. Tonight as we come to this communion table, we find ourselves in a, a very unique opportunity as we take the bread and as we dip it in the juice, we can look at this as an insignificant, meaningless act. Something that we just do to go through the motions of a religious experience. Or we can come to this table with the heart of gratitude that remembers that Jesus came to make us brand new again. We can come to this table and we can take this bread and the Bible says, as hard as it is for us to imagine, that when we take this bread, it literally represents the body of Jesus that was killed for us. And he says, when you take this bread and you mix it with the juice... It's taking the body of Christ and the blood of Christ that was shed for us. It gave us life and forgiveness and healing and salvation and a relationship with our Father. And Jesus says, when you take this bread and you take this cup and you take it into yourself, it's a sign of communion with God. 
It's a sign of coming together with God in a way that is very special and is very unique. And it's a way that when we take this seriously, the Bible says that God meets us in this, in a covenant type of relationship, and he says, remember this, because in this, I have given you everything that you need to know me. And some of you here tonight, as we come to this table, you need to take some, some, some time, and you need to take this bread, and you need to take this juice, and you need to go back to your seat, and then you need to have a, a rap session with God, and you need to say, God, there's some stuff going on inside of my life tonight that I just know I need to deal with. God, there's some things in my life that I haven't wanted to talk to you about because I've been embarrassed of what you would say. Or God, there's some things in my life that I haven't wanted to talk to you about because I'm afraid and I don't want to be honest with you. And I'm going to have Christian come back up. They're going to play some more music for us. And I believe that God wants to meet us tonight as we take this bread and as we take this juice and as we come to him with that heart of gratitude, well, we need to come to God and say, God, this may take a few minutes and I'm going to give you a few minutes of my time to spend with you. See, I believe that when we come to scripture and we read it, it opens us up. It softens our heart. And then when we come to God with worship and singing and our giving and our lives, it gives God a chance to be able to work on the areas of our heart that maybe we haven't allowed Him to touch because we haven't spent the time necessary to give Him that room. Tonight, give Him some time. Give Him a couple minutes to work with you, to talk to you, to deal with you, to love you, to have a relationship with you. Give him a couple minutes of your time to be able to get honest with God. If you've got to walk around or find a different place, if you've got to come kneel here, if you've got to do whatever you've got to do to be able to give yourself a couple moments with Jesus tonight to be able to say, God, here's where it's at. Because when we give God those moments, when we get real with God, He gets real with us. When we fake it, we fake it. Nothing happens. But when we get real with God, He meets us right where we're at. Jesus, tonight I pray that as we come to this table, God, I pray that as we come and pick up this bread, and as we dip it in the juice, God, and as we offer it back to you, God, that there would be such a gratitude that would grip our hearts, that, God, that there would be such an overwhelming sense of awe for what you have done for us. That God, that it would begin to stir up inside of us the feelings, the emotions, all of the different words that only our hearts can say. God, words aren't enough to be able to tell you how we feel. Our words don't do justice for the gratitude that we feel inside of us because, God, you came for us when we hated you. You came for us when we didn't recognize you and we rejected you. You looked for us when we were hiding from you. 
You spoke our name when we cursed you. God, thank you for showing us such an unfailing love. God, thank you for showing us such a grace and a mercy that God would show us our Father's heart. So God, we come tonight humbly to this table. But God, we come with courage because we know that we are no longer orphans. We are your children. We know that we can come to this table and we can look for the embrace of our Father who loves us and who has given us a new name and who has brought us to the table and has said, you are my son, you are my daughter. Come to me with a smile on your face and joy in your heart, expecting to receive everything that I have. So God, tonight, our hearts are full of emotions as we come to you. Please meet us where we're at, Jesus. Why don't you go ahead and come? Come and find this communion table. Come and find this moment with God. Come and pick up this bread. Come. Come.